Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It may have been a rest weekend in the Six Nations, but that doesn't mean there was any lack of action on the pitch or plenty to talk about off it. French stars have caught COVID, including Anton Dupont, and will miss the match against Scotland. Are England any closer to finding their best side ahead of the trip to Cardiff? And as well as a red card-wielding weekend in the Gallagher Premiership, we'll find out the state of play in the Women's Premier 15s with the help of Susie Appleby and Rosie Gallagher. I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me on the ruck today, Chris Jones and Stephen Jones of the Sunday Times. Gents, good morning to you both. Morning. Morning. Red mist, I think, is the best way to describe um, this weekend or or a red sunset. There were five red cards in this weekend's games and there could have been probably quite a few more as players continue to struggle to stop the headshots. Chris, if I start with you, I mean, I guess a couple of years ago, there was a huge amounts of indignation and, and shouts from everywhere when players were, see, were, were seeing red and yellow cards for the for the challenge in the air. And I guess for a while, it you know the games were being kind of ruined by by players being sent off. And I guess a similar thing is happening with this this sort of tackle. It started with the Six Nations uh, with the head contact as uh, Xander Ferguson uh, obviously seeing red, as was was Peter Mahoney. And, and the Gallagher Premiership referees have taken the initiative and done the same. And I suppose there's a bit of short-term pain for, for long-term gain. Well, yeah, but hold on, Lord. this is not a secret what's been going on. And it, yeah, I think what Leicester did quite cleverly for the RFU is normally in these situations, you get a load of matches together to show you various incidents to compile a list of things not to do. Well, Leicester managed to do everything in just one game because they gave, gave you a fantastic example of not hitting somebody in the head when you're clearing them out, as uh, Jasper Visa did. They did the, well, was that really a sending off with Kieran Brooks when he was second man in? And then you had the, I'm so tired, I'll just flip Josh Bassett over by uh, Hanno Lindbergh. So you had sort of three areas there which have, which have been talked about for a long time. This is not a secret. And I just do not understand the mentality of, of some of these players. Either they don't want to learn... Or they just had, you know, it's not within their ability to stop doing what is patently not allowable. And referees have made it very clear. And it's been really good to listen to them going through the protocols with the TMO because, you know, you could write these down and hand it each of these players. This is what you did. And they ticked all the boxes. They should have been sent off. And in fact, as you said, Lol, there could have been others. 
Stephen, I, I mean, I think the, the game of rugby is often regarded as a game of opinion. Uh, and I was looking across social media and obviously there was a lot of conversation around some of these red cards and people were yeah. saying, well, well, in my opinion, I don't think it was a red. Well, quite frankly, your opinion doesn't really matter. You know, what matters is the law and you know, have the laws been broken in any way? And I guess, you know, this is a mindset that we've got to change. You know, professional players do adapt at speed particularly when careers and wages depend on it. Yes, we will. And, uh, and first of all, um, I agree with, uh, we, we, with you two. I think everyone was a red and there were a couple of other reds hanging around too. Secondly, it, it, it is a nightmare. It's a, it's, it's, it's a PR nightmare in some ways because what they've taken away is you used to have to have whatever you did in rugby on the field, you have to ha- have an intent or at least if you had an intent, it made it worse. Now, not all the incidents, they were all reds, but some of them didn't have the intent. And you see, people will always say, look, he didn't mean to do it. Uh, now, you look at uh, look at Kieran Brooks, for instance, who was red carded for a big thump. When Kieran came in, there was a player from each side and who altered the, uh, uh, the first tackle, altered the way that Kieran Brooks struck his man. So it is, there will always be anomalies, but you're right, we're going to have to suck it up and it's going to happen. And in the internationals this weekend, you got to, we got to think now, it's highly likely they could be decided by one, one blow, one headshot, uh, and the players have got to go down. But the other thing I'd say is, it's, I would stand up for the players in this sense, Lawrence. You've got two, two big teams running towards each other. As they run towards each other, it's almost inevitable that the carrier will dip and then it becomes very difficult sometimes to get out of there. But I have to say, congratulate BT on an excellent debate on it yesterday with yourself and Austin Healy. And you, you're right. You're right. I'm afraid a red is a red, no? And, and, and until the game alters, it always will be. Well, I, I can't quite remember any time on a rugby pitch where it was okay to go and smash someone in the head. I mean, you might question whether you got sent off a few years ago for doing that, but it's never okay to assault someone in the head. So, uh, you know, long may that continue. I'm sure the players will get the message. Listen, we're, go- we're going to move away from the red cards because we could just talk about it for the whole podcast. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to. There was some absolutely stunning rugby that was played across the Gallagher Premiership, particularly in the final game of the weekend, of course, where London Irish hosted Bristol at that wonderful new stadium. I think it's the Brentford Community Stadium. My word, that'll be a spectacle once that's full up. They were stunned, really, Bristol, by an incredible comeback from from London Irish. Uh, I mean, I guess with Bristol top of the table, flying high, all of the absentees they had, players away with England, injuries. I mean, they just got off to an, you know, to an incredible start. I think at one point they were they were 25 points up, certainly out of sight by half time. And then you had to admire the way that uh, London Irish sort of came back into it. I just thought it was just gave you kind of reinvigorated you really in terms of the Gallagher Premiership, because, uh, you know, some weeks we struggle, some weeks we just think it's the best thing in the world. And I think yesterday was just a wonderful example of, uh, of why it's such a fantastic competition, whether it's got relegation promotion or not. Uh, it was the ultimate game of two halves, I suppose. But, you know, there, were, there was a long time, maybe 10 years, when, like, Southern Hemisphere people and others, people in Wales and Scotland, used to make fun of the Premiership to say, oh, it's, it's just attritional, it's just, it's just forward play. Do you know, the Premiership has been the best competition for spectacle this season, by, by far. And, and what, what a way for London Irish to come back. They didn't grind their way back in. They ran their way back in. I mean, I think we all knew that they were coming on. But blimey, it was just sheer brilliance at the end. And 
people were absolutely entranced by it. It, it was one of the great premiership games. It really was. And it, it, it was amazing how the changes in people's mood on social media. One, one minute, obviously, people writing off London Irish as, as a shambles. Uh, and then the, ne- the next thing, they've completely changed their, uh, their tune and saying, what a, what a wonderful game. And Tom Parton could have easily won it for, uh, yes. for London Irish with a, with a, with a four-man over that. He probably had so many options. He didn't quite know which one to pass to. Chris, there was some... Did you, I mean, I, I don't know if you caught any of the game, but the likes of Niall Lango, the, the former rugby league player, and, and Charles Piertel. I mean, it was just sensational stuff, some of the skills that those guys... It was almost like a like a mini rugby dads v lads game at one point when, <laughs> with those two those two just just carving it up down the touchline. Well, what I was really impressed with at the start was that, although they conceded two breakaway tries, the actual movement that London Irish were bringing into their attack was really interesting. There's some fantastic inside balls, cutting a different line. They looked good. They were very easy on the eye. The problem was they kept on pushing the final pass and handing a ridiculous lead to Bristol. But they kept on with that ability to attack, the willingness to go. Something like Steve Matthew picking a go. It's just great to see, isn't it? That's a mindset. Wouldn't we love to see England with the same sort of mindset? Also, they, you know, London Irish have not, not got any sustained success to, to to back on. I mean, they've got some confidence now that they know they won't be relegated. But my goodness, they've been working hard away from the cameras and away from, you know, on the training field. Clearly, I was, as you say, Chris, I was really impressed by their style. I was also really impressed by by their togetherness because they never panicked when they were way down. At one stage, they blind me. This could be forty or forty or fifty. And the likes of Steve Maffey, one or two of these big forwards they they got in there were, were, were terrific. And you know, as as Lauren said, that stadium, you just imagine it now. If only they were playing at home this week after that, you know, you might get you might get eight thousand there, and then you could build it up from there. So I, I think London Irish is a club that's going places. Uh, and you know, you could be talking next next year certainly about about sort of top six if they keep that going. Just just. Uh, I just lifted lifted the whole weekend for me. I, I was also very impressed with the performance, as I have been all season, of Paddy Jackson. Now I know it's a controversial subject, but at some point, someone's going to have to debate the the, the question: Is should Paddy Jackson be selected for Ireland, and is he the best fly half outside of possibly Johnny Sexton in Ireland? You know, we know that the issues around his selection are far far deeper than just rugby. But can, can we just celebrate the fact that, he, you know, that he's been on an incredible journey over the last few years and, and just celebrate what he's doing for London Irish at the moment? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think he has to be a, a certain type of guy inside to uh, to have come through that. He got really battered and bruised. And look, I'm, I'm not going to get into the case, but he was, he was acquitted. But there were other parts of that which people found distasteful, and I, I see that. Another side that has real quality, but but just seems to be missing a beat or two at the moment, is, is Exeter Chiefs. They lost again, very controversially, I might add. Joe Simmons, should he have been allowed to retake that last-minute conversion against Northampton? Now, Northampton Saints have suffered at the hands of, of Exeter Chiefs a couple of times in the past, once in, in the European Cup and once in the, in the Gallagher Premiership semi-final. So I think, it, it, you know, the controversy aside, I think it was a really stirring performance by Chris Boyd and his, uh, and his Northampton Saints, really, to go down there because question marks have been asked about them physically in the past. Are they, are they gritty? Have they got enough mongrel to take on some of the big boys and and they've been found wanting but I think over the weekend they really showed something you know maybe it was the performance against Wasps that that has lifted Northampton Saints but to go down to Sandy Park and win you know takes 
a great deal. Gents, um, Chris, if I start with you, I mean, did you see that incident at the end there with Christoph Ridley? Quite clearly on BT, we we showed it. And when you slow it down, you know, Simmons does have a, a, a little routine where he takes a step forward and then stops. And that's part of his kind of kicking routine. So I think the uh, Northampton Saints players were well within their rights to, to charge him down. Absolutely. And, and you're quite right to highlight that he actually moved his feet. You could say, well, when does, when does a, a kicker's run-up start? If you're damn bigger, it starts about 14 uh, clicks and hicks and, and, and a pull of this, and it's like a Rafa Nadal start to a, to a kick-up. So when does he actually start his run-up? Because yeah, it's all become a little bit sort of uh, theatrical. And yeah, it was just great fun at the end. I know it's not great fun for Exeter, but if you did zoom in as you did, he moved his feet towards the ball. And, you know, good on Northampton. They went for it. I mean, it's a hell of a difficult kick anyway. But, you know, uh, on that plus on that pitch, and we must mention that Sandy Park's not looking great at the moment, is it, at the moment? So a bit like the team, it's a bit sort of threadbare at times because it's been given so much hammer. And uh, exits are always difficult down there. But, the, God, take all the people out of their squad and they're still competitive against, uh, you know, a good Northampton side. Yeah, Exeter aren't going anywhere. They're still going to be right there at the end. But at the moment, that's yeah. I've seen uh, twice a season, and they are trying to to add that sort of offloading game to the, to the sheer physicality of the forwards. And you know, I think that when they do get everybody back, they will be back able to compete against Bristol on that sort of attacking front. But at the moment, they're just just hanging in there. Two points there, there Lawrence. Just briefly, a. I, I just wonder whether Northampton spotted that before the game because they seemed to come out shouting and bawling as if, as if they, they they planned to do it and maybe even spotted it. He definitely took a couple of little, little steps and uh, oh, what a dramatic conclusion! And poor poor bloke standing there with the ball and no, nowhere to go. Secondly, we brought this point up a couple of times. It's worth doing it again. One of the great sadnesses of uh, with as life as a rugby club in in in, in England is the better you do. The more players you bring through for England, the less you see them. And it really is. When you're going in with eight players out in various countries, it is so difficult. And they've got to find a way of allowing the players uh, and the, the committees and the sponsors and the fans to see their players more often. And if that means less internationals, I'm afraid that's what it's got to be. Just one one thing to to take away from that that chief saints game as well is just when you thought the values of, of rugby were were moving in a different direction up pops a man like rob baxter who just just cops it on the chin in the, in the post-match interview and just says no no the referee wasn't to blame he did take a step forward we'll take the blame on ourselves and i think that just sets the tone you know to all directors of rugby to all players out there you know you don't blame the referee you look at yourselves first and i thought that was uh, incredibly humble and even actually is um represented by his own players. Oli Devoto, I don't know if you saw the game, you know, didn't score a try, didn't waste anyone's time asking the officials to, you know, get the TMO to look at it. He just got up and said, no, I didn't score it, sir. You know, and I just thought that sportsmanship is alive and kicking in and respect in the game of rugby. Let's talk Quinns. I know you're not, you don't live as close to Quinns as, as, as you once did, but uh, I mean, what is going on there? It's extraordinary. You know, Paul Gustard leaves the club he says by his own admission the, the club might have a, a different story to tell but uh, since he's left they've won four out of four um, their senior players seem to have stepped up to the plate and they found themselves again I don't know whether they've just they just seem to have some a little bit more direction in terms of what they're do, trying to do on the field but the response from the squad and the and the other coaches within the squad has, has been incredible really for Quinns. There's a real clarity there isn't there at the moment and, and that comes from Marcus who Seem to struggle under, under Gustav. I don't understand why. I mean, you know, Marcus has got a, a fantastic bag of tricks. You could say he's got some some weaknesses in other areas. Kicking on the run is not one of his strongest points. But 
when he is confident, it's just a joy to watch him with that little that little goose step and uh, and the way he brings people into it. Don Brandt runs off him so well. But you see, look at people like Joe Marler. Joe's playing really, really well at the moment. And boy, England could do with him down in Cardiff, not only for the technical chop tackling, which is right up there with the very best. It's a bit like your old mate Joe Worsley. You know? He just takes everybody down. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. thing to see. And they are a team. Lewis, the captain, is back as well. I think that's important because they missed a big, big lump in the second row. Bits and pieces of that team are coming together. Marchant's getting a run, and you're seeing what he can produce, if only he was given a chance with England as well. And, and I think that's just you, see, you, you call it a bounce, don't you? When somebody leaves a director of rugby leagues, there's always a bounce. Well, that bounce is, is pretty high, and it seems to be quite sustained. And that probably comes down to people like Nick Evans, who has a really good view of how a team should be attacking and fundamentally understands the talent he has in his back line. And we're starting to see that. You watched the Leicester performance. In fact, you probably both watched the Leicester performance. I mean, Wasps were beaten even before the whistle, but they were certainly beaten by the time the game started. They, they were comprehensively outplayed, as Lee Blackett said, in, in a lot of fronts. A few concerns for them in the sense that when you take a core of their players out of the side, they don't seem to have that leadership group to function. I mean, I mean, it was basically Brad Shields against Leicester, really. Is if you if you watch the game, but, but you can't take anything away from Leicester. They that you know they've been a bit up and down since Steve Borthwick's taken over in, in the sense that they win one and then they lose one. It was much more of a kind of back to basics type of performance from from Leicester. You know, solid set piece, just hassling and hurrying. And and Austin was quite right, and I don't like to agree with him very often, but it was a type of performance that. Had the you know had the Welford Road faithful been there, it's exactly the sort of performance that they like from their from their Leicester Tigers team. It's a pack now based on uh, South African muscle with a couple of Argentinians thrown in there, so you know what you're going to get, which is back to the old days of, as you know better than anybody else, wanted to go up there because it's horrible, and they are making it horrible again at the moment. And you know, people say, well, it's not the most expansive way of playing, and no, it's not. But you've got Richard Wigglesworth bringing that sort of cussedness from Saracens and, and the ability to put the ball you know, on a sixpence with a high kick to keep you moving forward. And if that back row does stay on the field, doesn't get sent off, it is horrible to play against. I'm not sure that there's much outside at the moment. They, they seem to be a, a bit of a black hole out there, except for this very, very good fullback, Freddie Stewart. I don't know if you agree, Steve, but he, I think he's the next one. No, I don't agree. And I, but having rubbish the backs like that... And rubbish the going to Leicester. You should remember, before the game, we get huge bacon rolls, and half time we get a curry. Now, don't say we don't, they'll get offended now. So, go back on what you just said, for God's sake, and apologize. Sue, I think it's a tiny bit early, but uh, fair play to Borthwick, a little bit like um, the, the Quinn's transformation. As soon as you get rid of the guy who's been there a long time, suddenly it all starts rolling again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I 
touch on the game that was on Friday night. Bath picked up their second win on the bounce, much needed for Stuart Hooper's men. It wasn't a huge amount of quality necessarily on, on show, but they somehow found a way of winning and against the against Gloucester, who, who can't honestly know where the, the next win's coming from. I mean, they were it was probably one of the better Gloucester performances I've seen. They showed a lot of cussedness and and probably deserved to win the game on, on the balance of play. But uh, again, the game was uh, w- w- was sort of overtaken by, by red card incidents and uh, and fair play to Reese Priestland for, for, for landing the winning penalty. I think both directors of rugby will take that and, and probably move on, as we should now, to the Six Nations. Um, just to remind everyone of the kind of key talking points, really. Alex Mitchell, scrum half, has replaced Harry Randall in the England squad for Saturday's match against Wales. And... I guess we're all just wondering what changes, if any, Eddie Jones will make in what looks like a really tricky fixture going down to Cardiff. The French squad, as we've said earlier, has been decimated by COVID. Will the disruption make a difference to their Grand Slam plans? And let's talk Scotland. Scotland welcomed back Adam Hastings to their squad and have called up the uncapped Josh Bayliss from Bath, but still without Redpath, Graham and Thompson. Chris, let's talk England for a second. I mean, it they just haven't started this Six Nations, really. Scotland outplayed them all over the park, really, in the opening game. And let's just forget about the Italy game, not not least because England were woeful and uh, and Italy are, are even more woeful. I mean, is this kind of a, a chance for England to really start their, their Six Nations campaign? Well, England are in this terrible navel-gazing period, aren't they? Where just, you know, who are we? What are we? Well, we've, they got the World Cup final not that long ago and you expect them to kick on instead they got beaten up in the final, and they just seem to have sort of lost some of that mojo. And some of those key players have lost the mojo completely. Daly, you know, Billy Manapola. I mean, these guys don't look like the players they used to be. And, you know, you have to say to the coach, if they are not operating at the level you need to be for international rugby, what are they doing in the team? And you, you, you have to add Owen to that as well, because Owen just doesn't look like the player that we know he is. And so, therefore, as a coach, you have to make the big calls. And he's not making the big calls, which leads to the sort of discussion Eddie absolutely hates and just makes him more stubborn. And we're in that situation now whereby you know you should be bringing Max Malins in. You know he should, he should be playing Ben Earl. And yeah, you, you know he should be putting Ollie Lawrence in the centre. But will he do it? I don't think so. They almost look like they need an in- a new injection of energy, don't they, in, in, in their team at the moment? Yes, they do. And uh, energy and, and sort of almost a, a little bit more of an organisation and a rhythm. They're so lacking in, in rhythm, Lawrence. Eddie, how much bottle has he got? It must still be incredibly tempting for him in Cardiff to keep Billy and say, just give me 50 minutes. It must, it must be tempting for him to keep Farrell. Uh, to keep Owen Farrell, which in fact, which in fact I would. But the, the, the team is playing with its head down. They're grafting, but there's no rhythm. There's no joy. Well, their, their attack is poor. And it really depends on the, 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 the front five and the front row, who I do like, and I think will have an advantage to get them onto the front foot. But then can they play? I don't know. We do, Ollie Lawrence, he should have brought him in, but he's brought him in twice and the poor lads had one pass. So now we, he doesn't know about Ollie Lawrence. He doesn't know about Dan Robson starting the game. He's missed chances to put them out there. And I and I think, I, I, like I said, I wrote on Saturday, I think about three months ago, I would have said England win by 30. Now I think it's very, very tight indeed. From a Welsh perspective, Chris, I guess they, they go into this game themselves having not played particularly well. 
but yet they they've come away from from two matches with, with two wins, probably down to individual brilliance rather than anything collectively from the team. And also by the new tactic that Wayne Pivax uh, brought in, which of course is to play against fourteen men, which is something Gatland failed to recognise throughout his entire tenure with Wales. It's yeah, it's an obvious one really. Look. Wales are dangerous again now. They've got that. You know what we like. We're Welsh. We've got a bit of got, we've got a bit of something. Now. We'll, we'll take you on. Come on, bring you down. But I'm concerned about the Welsh front five compared to the English front five. If England turn up, England have got. I think have got a stronger front row. Um, Alan Window is recaptured. I don't know where he's got it from, but it's fantastic to see him back there being uh, as trucking as, as as you wanted to be. And and get, they, if they get in the faces of England up front and start causing them problems, as we know they can do in Cardiff. Then England in for a long, hard afternoon of not much fun. And that's exactly what Wales will do. But what they are adding now to it, Wales, is that ability just, just because they've got this superstar on the, on the right wing. And look, we do build up our Welsh superstars way too big. But, you know, this guy, I'm sure you agree, has got something special. And Wales are using it. And, you know, it's not like when George North went to Northampton and they basically ignored him and didn't bother giving him the ball when he's a world-class wing out there. Use these guys, which is what they're doing. I hope they... They stick Liam at fullback and let him show what he's still got, and they'll cause it. They, they will cause England problems because England are coming down there, and we know what they're going to try and do. They're going to try and batter their way to victory. And uh, I think if the Welsh front five can stand up to it, then uh, it could be, as I say, a very hard afternoon for England. I think where England have it over Wales is in terms of power carriers. Welsh front row are improving and scrummaging. Adam Beard, I think, is a line in the making and he's a tremendous lot. But in terms of the uh, the power of ball carrying, I just don't think they have it. I don't think the Welsh props get involved in the carrying game around the field enough. I think they've got two, uh, Wales got two open sides when Moriarty with, with one of the open sides would have been better. They've also, Lawrence, got the uh, the same sort of Billy Vanapola thing with Jonathan Davis in the centre. Uh, Jonathan's back from two injuries, not shown formally, just seems to be coming back into it. But whether or not they play him, it must be a temptation, or whether they just leave the young boys in there. Uh, so that's... That's a tough one as well. But as Chris says, I do fancy Liam Williams, a fullback with uh, Josh Adams and uh, and, and uh, LRZ uh, on the wing. So I think it'd be a great game. It's a shame for Wales there's no crowd. I think really, really close. Let's talk France. The French squad, as we know, decimated by COVID. And they had every right, I guess, to celebrate. Maybe they celebrated without thinking about COVID and the, and the protocols. But they hadn't won in, in Dublin for, for God knows how long. It was certainly a, a while. And and uh, and they produced a, a decent performance, uh, you know, to beat the Irish. Chris, do you think that disruption will make a, a difference to their plans, or have they got so much strength in depth in that in that French squad now that uh, that they'll cope with it? Well, the fact is that, well, if you remember from the, the final of the autumn series, they brought what was it the fifteen, and were incredibly competitive. The, the squad they've named is still massively impressive, and so that you know they, they've got enough there to take Scotland at, yeah, at home. I, I just think that. It's a great shame that uh, the party turns sour. And um, I think the, the tone for the party after the victory was set by Sean Edwards' uh, totally unnecessary dancing, which, again, I think he should be tested for that after that, after that ex- exhibition on the uh, on the changing room tables. But um, it's, it's so sad not to see DuPont again, isn't it? I love watching this guy. He is just such a bundle of energy. He sets the tone for everything. Even when he's, when he's tackled, he bounces straight back up again. He will not accept the concept that he can't go forward in any situation. And it's great to see. But look, 
Dutty Serin's coming in. That's not the worst scrum half in the world to bring in, is it? I mean, they have got fantastic strength and depth, and I think they're just going to have a little bit too much of Scotland, who you know, will be still hurting after that last result. It's going to be disruptive, aggravating. Scotland have, have got one chance to, to get back on the on the horse sort of thing. So uh, I, I just think that, in a way, Gaultier's got to find a way of pre- sort of almost absorbing and dis- hiding the fact that uh, it's difficult. Just say, come on, lads, we know what we're doing. Never mind about this training session if it's somewhere else. You know, we've we got to keep our Grand Slam push going. So again, I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, I still think that DuPont is a, is a sad loss, but I still think that France probably will have enough. Away from the Six Nations and the Premiership, the Women's Premier 15s has been enjoying its most open season to date, with the likes of Loughborough and Exeter upsetting traditional frontrunners Saracens and Harlequins. Earlier, Jonesy caught up with Exeter Chiefs Susie Appleby and Saracens and England star Rosie Galligan to discuss the season to date. Thanks, ladies, very much for joining us. Su- Susie, uh, I can imagine that you're absolutely loving your, your first season, but also frustrated by some of it as well, because uh, the COVID must be a heck of a thing to, to, to negotiate. Yeah, Steve, honestly, um, I mean, it's, it's brilliant, it's exciting. But yeah, COVID has been a real spanner in the works right from the off, you know, trying to recruit a squad across the world, you know, and across the country via Zoom was quite a challenge, you know, and they couldn't even come and feel, get a feel for Chiefs. So I think what we've, we've achieved is test, achieved a testament to um, the players that we have found, the local players, the players that have come from, you know, different parts of the country and the world, and they've all bought into what we're trying to do. There's a massive air of excitement all across the club, not just in the women's in the women's section, to to make this a really really special a special thing down that, down here. So yeah, it's going really well in in spite of everything that's happened. What um, you made a big point of saying that it's not just um, uh, you know you, you're not you, you've not just been given a field to play on by the club. They've really they've really embraced you as a sort as a real much of a, of a sort of joint achievement. They, cert- they certainly have, Steve. Yeah. Right from the top. So Tony Rowe um, sees us all as rugby players. He doesn't see us as male and female. And therefore, we have absolute parity in the club, which is the first time I've certainly experienced this in the women's game. So, you know, the male coaches, they come in and they don't come in because they're forced to come in. They come in because they love it. Rob Baxter's always around, milling around in the background. So it's just, it's it's massive, you know. And and it, I think it's reflected in, in the whole area, Steve. You know, the fact that when we played Sail Sharks, Everybody came to the game, you know, because they were allowed to. So, you know, we had, I can't remember, like 1,500 plus spectators in that day. And that was just the very first time, which kind of echoes the, the desire for Chiefs to be, a, a, um, you know, the best, the best club in, well, certainly in the area. And then, you know, whatever comes next, really. Rosie, uh, you, you've been involved before, before your injuries with um, success with Saracens. What, what's what's it been like since you joined the Premier 15s in in terms of a club? Has it been difficult, or have you felt part of the of the club like Exeter? Yeah, definitely. I think there is that ethos at Saris that we are one family, and I think as you start when you're 18 and you and you progress, you start feeling more important and more valued. Uh, I think Exeter, you can you can definitely tell playing against them that they they train together, they play for each other, and Saracens as well. We may not be the best of friends off the pitch. 
Um, I definitely think there's so many people from from different walks of life with different personality. But I know for a fact that when we do get on the pitch, we play for each other. So I think that's just the most important thing in rugby, finding people that want to put their bodies on the line. So, yeah, there is definitely that in in the club. And sometimes uh, you just need little setbacks for you to regather and rebond. And I think we've just done that over the last few weeks. Obviously, you, you, you both you are, stu- are students of the of the competition. I mean, I have to say, I, I when it started, I knew I knew it would be good. I knew it would help and bring people in. I don't think I, I didn't realise how good it could be. I mean, I saw, for instance, Wasps and Quinns on Saturday, and earlier in the season, Loughborough playing. And oh, by me, you know, there's so many contenders coming through that you haven't heard of before. Is that is that your experience, Rosie? And and has it given the the competition or the women's game the boost you thought it would when you first heard about it? Definitely. I think the Premiership as a whole this year is all about adapting. Um, and you've had to see the likes of Harlequins who have had their Scotland internationals taken away due to camp um, and a few injuries as well. Like they're finally seeing the importance of what it is to have strength and depth in a squad. Mm-hmm. And it's allowing your young talent to be able to showcase what they're what they're capable of. You've got Emily Robinson. Um, who's managed to get into the England setup now a few times, but she may not have had that experience if it wasn't for for this year and, and the way it's gone. It's the same for us at Saris. I think we've had a lot of people come over from Canada to get their prep for World Cup. And that, again, has made us competitive in a team itself, but also just the league is, has gone up one another notch and it's fantastic to be a part of. You can you can definitely tell that this stand the standard this year has risen at every single club. You guys seem to the outsider to be pretty certain of top four. Susie, there's a little still a little bit of a gap between you and the top four. Do you think you can overhaul that? Well it's it's interesting, isn't it, Steve? Because a lot of it, I mean Saturday was crucial for us, really, to stay in the hunt. So, you know, to be fair, I thought was for the better side for the majority of the game. And then, you know, just got pipped at the post by some accuracy in the latter few minutes of Quinns. But that's what Quinns are like, you know. That's that's because they know how to win and they know how to keep winning. And, you know, they've had a couple of slip-ups, but actually they're back on it now. So, but that for us, as I said, kept gave us a lifeline because it kind of almost kept Wasps in touch. Now, listen, for the rest of the season, we've been just been cliche, it sounds like, but taking one game at a time, because how could we not, especially in the beginning, first half, we just like getting to know each other. How could we play? But we have improved a huge amount. You know, every time we take the field, we improve in some way, shape or form, whether it's just understanding a little bit more about that game sense, you know, and where to go and what to do at certain times on the field. Um, every club's had to adapt to abstractions. So we've lost our Spanish, you know, as you know, others have lost lost players to international duty. So we, we are still in touch, Steve. A lot of it is going to depend how those, you know, those top four compete against each other in these latter six yeah. games, these last six games. But also, most importantly, how we continue to perform, you know. And it's it's a big challenge on Saturday against Darlington. You know, Darlington had nothing to lose. And it's often the trickiest of the, those are the trickiest of games. And then we go to Wasp. So it's very much just keeping an eye on ourselves. To be honest, Steve, we wanted to cut. We targeted top half this, yeah. this year. And actually, will I be pleased with it? Of course I will. I'd love to make playoffs, but, you know, let's let's be realistic. Let's just do what the best we can. Rosie, where, where can the league... I know it's difficult because you, you, you're a player, you're, you're working hard on it, and you don't necessarily have to take a big, wide view, but where can the league still improve? The only way you can carry on continuing to increase the level of rugby is by 
helping those female players become full-time athletes. I know for a fact I can't train during the day. I've got a nine till five job. For me, it's hard because I can't train during the day. And I know a lot of other people are still having to work. So that would be the next step, which I think is unrealistic just because of the of the year we've had. Um, COVID is, isn't just going to go away like that. It's going to be something that we have to financially rebuild over the next few years. But I think maybe one of the biggest things is after World Cup, having a look at England players and maybe a way of spreading players around around the league rather than having, I think Harlequins have got six or seven, Saracens have obviously got a whole back row of England players. So I think after World Cup, people will naturally say that they want to have a bit of a change and that will be where clubs have to take advantage of that and draw them in and and get a diverse pool of people and and build their build their teams around um, your internationals who are willing to to try and develop rugby around the UK back to the league I mean I, I think honestly there's a certain amount that the RFU can do and they will continue to do it I think the onus has to go out to the clubs and that there are big clubs in this league now and you know Connor touched on it and <laughs> You know, should I quote on it? Should I not? You know, the men's salary cap goes between 5.5 million, and you'll know more than anyone, Steve, up to 9 million. That is an unbelievable amount of money. Now, we're talking about a cap of 120,000 pounds. You know, it was 60,000 pounds. Now, that's nothing. That's a drop in the ocean. So I, I think we should be saying to our clubs, come on. Let's all buy into this. Let's make this women's game really special. And alongside that, let's get, um, you know, a big sponsor. Look at the women's, women's um, football league, you know, Barclays come on board because it's, some, it's a really special league. So we need that coupled with, I think, the, the club buy-in because much as we love, to, love it, Steve, you know, everybody loves the game of rugby. Rosie's touched on it. She can't train in the day because she's got to go to work, you know. So until the time comes where, you know, at Exeter, we're really lucky. We've got 23 full-time players. Now, that means you can, you can work really hard in the day and then your part-time players come in in the evenings and they're almost on catch-up which is a shame, but actually that's allowing us to move forward because Tony has, has had the vision to say, I want to invest in this game. This is the real deal. And as we do that, the game will grow and it will continue to move forward. And that will allow us to compete on a world world level continually and be up where with New Zealand. We all know who we're, we're up there with, you know, the States and um, France, New Zealand, but New Zealand are, you know, really top of the world at the moment. It's got to keep moving. Rosie, it's World Cup this year. It's a, there'll be another profile from the Olympics. The, the, the league is getting bigger. My, my initial thing is to say, well, God, at least this is, this is all happening for you. But does it still feel that things are improving at a slow rate? I'm not trying to catch you out. It just no, no, I think that it's a really interesting topic because I've definitely felt at Saracens this year we we unfortunately had to um, get rid of our media manager and for us girls the men's side are trying to pick up on it but you can definitely just tell there is less exposure for us out there there's less Mm. there is less opportunities and I don't know whether that's just a case of there's less opportunities because there's less going on but at the same time you've gone from being obviously top of the premiership twice to then not not really having anything said about you and it definitely does it does make a difference but I think I think the main reason as to as we've touched on the World Cups happening and and that is primarily why um, the Alliance Premier 15s has um, been able to go ahead and I think obviously at the start there was a lot of there was a lot of controversy between uh, the championship not being played but us girls being able to play and and that was quite a hard situation to understand for any player because essentially we weren't getting tested 
we were exactly the same as the championship boys who, who were going to train, who would have been able to train. Um, so to be put in a position to start off with where we were, in, we were up in the air as to what we were doing and we were training, but we didn't know what was happening. The league started a bit later. It definitely does feel like there is a bit of a, a plateau at the minute with our development, but I think now that we are getting tested and we are training, the standard is there. You've got the coaches that are there to continue to develop the girls in a rugby aspect. Everything else um, just seems to be falling a little bit behind at the minute. And I think that is purely just down to the fact we're in a pandemic. Sure. Companies don't know whether we are going to be profitable. And at the end of the day, I don't think Alliance are probably getting anything from the streams, but we're very grateful for for the fact that we have fans being able to watch every single weekend because they're they're supporting us and they're backing us and seeing that we've got a future. Rosie, thank you so much for joining us and let's hope you get right back into it, suffer no further injuries and fulfil yourself and um, well done for making the comeback. And thank Susie, you. Uh, I know the battle you fought for years and nice to see you still clearly up for it and wishing you both well for the rest of the season. Brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having us. Great stuff there, Jonesy. Yeah, they're on their way. It was great to hear from those two. And uh, Premiership, as I said, absolutely fantastic this year. Well, now, gentlemen, we're going to finish with our usual feature of God or Goddess of the Week. Chris, I will give you the honour of uh, of going first uh, for your God or Goddess of the Week. I just loved that Irish fight back. And when you see most scrum halves deciding that they have to wait for a caterpillar uh, and a number 10 bus to come along before they kick the ball, and someone like Nick Phipps comes on and plays like scrum half should play. He was a live wire. He quick service. He was always at the breakdown. He was. He just gave that energy that Irish really needed. And I thought he was just really fantastic. And reminded everybody. And I hope you know, Eddie was watching that because Dan Robson could could do similar things for England. Just what a difference! A really, really top-notch scrum half who just wants to play can make to a uh, to a, a performance. I thought Nick Phipps was great. He's my God of the Week. Mine uh, will be the man with the lowest profile in rugby, a man who hardly speaks. Even when he's on TV interviews, he speaks in very short sentences. But Declan Kidney has got something happening down at, uh, at Brentford that I think is going to burst out into something really worthwhile. So the quiet man who never speaks, Declan Kidney is my God of the Week. And a very worthy candidate indeed. My God of the Week goes to a man who's probably won this accolade a couple of times already, but uh, the performance of, of Rob Baxter in defeat down at Sandy Park, I think just showed us or taught us a lesson in humility uh, and how to be humble. And sometimes when you really want to say one thing, but you just come out and say completely the opposite. How many directors of rugby, coaches, men, rugby men, would have would have taken defeat in quite the way he did in the manner that uh, it was. I think for him to, to do that and say, look, I'm not blaming the referee, Christoph Ridley. I'm blaming my own team and we'll deal with it ourselves. So uh, very humble. Rob Baxter, yet again, uh, you are our God of the Week. Yeah, very good. My thanks to Chris Jones and Stephen Jones, as well as Susie Appleby and Rosie Gallagher. Sam Warburton joins us on The Ruck next Monday, following Wales against England at the weekend. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and you can subscribe on Acast, iTunes or your usual podcast provider. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.